Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. My name's Leanne Brown, and my latest cookbook is called Good Enough, and it is about embracing the joys of imperfection, both in the kitchen and out. You had me at the subtitle, Embracing (laughs) the Joys of Imperfection in and Out of the Kitchen, because I'm always talking about how cooking is so hard for me, and the perfectly curated Instagram food page is hard too. So good. (laughs) It is for everybody, I think. It's not for every. I think it's just for me. I'm the worst food photographer. Anywho, I need your cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) So Good Enough is the follow-up to your brilliant New York Times bestseller, Good and Cheap, and I'm so happy to chat with you again. I'm so happy to be here. So after Good and Cheap came out, you weren't finding peace and happiness in or out of the kitchen. You write in one of the essays about going to the grocery store here in New York City. It's a trek. It's raining. And your heart was beating wildly at the thought of getting wet. Can you just read a small (laughs) portion on page 15, please? You got it. One day, I was sitting in front of my computer at my co-working space. I was miserable, struggling with writing that just wasn't flowing. My baby daughter was in daycare, and these hours to think and do my own work felt immensely precious. I let myself drift to thinking about food, and suddenly my mind started churning and bubbling with recipe ideas. I had to get back home to my kitchen ASAP because I felt like I could still squeeze some success from this brutal day. But there was one catch. To make the food I was envisioning, I'd have to go to the grocery store first. Unfortunately, as I stepped outside, thick, swampy air enveloped me, and I looked up at a darkening mid-afternoon sky. It was thunderstorm weather. Too bad, I thought. (laughs) Sort of (laughs) maniacally, I was really ready to go. I was loaded down with my purse, a bag with my breast pump, and my computer. I hustled to the subway. It was a lot to carry already, and I knew that adding groceries would be a struggle, but I decided I didn't care. I needed this. A few subway stops later, I walked up the stairs and out into the world again. By then, it was actually raining, those big fat droplets that mean this is a real one. This is some serious rain. So I hustled four or five long blocks. These are New York City long blocks. They take a while to the grocery store. Very aware that home was still three long blocks from there. On the way, it began raining. Hard soaking me almost immediately. And by the time I reached the store, I was running awkwardly with my bags, breast pump banging against my hip just to get inside and escape the torrent. And I was drenched. My breathing was short and I felt a little panic. I knew this was an overreaction, but I couldn't seem to calm down. My mind was racing. I'm really wet already and I'm not even home yet. And loading myself up with groceries will make it even harder. I can't just wait in the store for the rain to stop or I'll run out of time to cook because I have to pick up the baby from the daycare in a few short hours. I could call a car but it's just three blocks and when it rains getting a ride becomes impossible since everyone has the same idea. I was worrying but I decided to just focus on my first task, getting my groceries. So I'm leaving the store. The rain began to thicken again and my whole body was so tense my heart was beating wildly. Instead of ignoring the clear panic I was experiencing as I would have done in the past and hurrying on, today I felt curious. Why was I so afraid? Why was my body acting like a pack of wolves were at my heels instead of knowing I was simply on a street corner with some bags in the rain? in no real danger. I tried to calm my stream of thoughts by starting a conversation. Why are you so afraid of getting wet? I took a deep breath. It's okay. You're just going to get wet. That's totally survivable. But a voice deep inside me responded, no, it's not just getting wet. 
that's not what's so scary. And I asked, well, what is it? As kindly as I could. And the voice responded, well, we could get so wet and it's already starting to rain harder that it could soak these grocery bags and they will disintegrate and all our groceries could fall out onto the sidewalk and be ruined or just won't be able to get home. And then you can't do your recipes or we'll run out of time to come back and get them and we won't accomplish anything today and all this food will go to waste. And so I said to the voice kindly, yes, that would be difficult, but I think we can survive that. I sighed and relaxed a bit, but I still felt so much tension in my body. It wasn't just getting wet or having my groceries. So I asked, is there more? What are you so afraid of? And this time, something in me let go. And that voice said, I'm afraid of how ridiculous we look. Here we are walking in the rain with the stuff getting wet, with our bags about to burst. We look like we made the wrong decision. We look stupid and weak. Who would do this? What self-respecting adult with their life together does this? Huh. All that fear, that horrible, tense feeling, all this panic, all because I was worried about the judgment of others. But this time, somehow, in that moment on the street corner with my soaking wet bags, after all the work I had been doing to cultivate self-compassion, trying to treat myself in the same kind way I treat my baby daughter, things went differently. In that moment, when my deepest self revealed that I was afraid of looking wrong in public, my first reaction was not admonishment, but compassion. I was not alone here in the rain. I was surrounded by other people who were also stuck in the rain, and there was nothing wrong with any of them, just as there was nothing wrong with me. I suddenly was looking around, noticing everyone, some on the sidewalk with me getting soaked, some in their cars, lucky, one person walking their dog, another with their children. I could look away from me and the fears I had and out at these beautiful people all around me. Here we were together in the rain, just doing the best we could. Some of us were caught in the rain because rain is a part of life. And I felt so connected to those people in that moment. I didn't care if they were judging me. And I couldn't really imagine that they were because I wasn't judging myself. What mattered was that we were all alive together. We were all alive together. I love that line. <laughs> I know it seems in some ways an odd thing to put in a, in a cookbook, but it felt really important to share kind of how intense these almost very everyday sort of banal experiences can hold so much fear and tension and how sort of magical it can feel when you are able to let some of that go. And it's New York City. We've all cried on the street. We've <laughs> yes. all tripped and fallen down. No one judges anyone. We just judge ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's even what you said earlier, your feelings when you're looking at Instagram. I think that's likely sort of what you're going through even there is that you're judging yourself. Well, please, my food photos do not look good, but <laughs> let's get real. <laughs> so you write in the book, if self-care is something you struggle with, you may need an Antonio. Who is Antonio? <laughs> oh, yes. So Antonio was this, again, I love to use the imagination um, to kind of help me uh, change my perspective a little bit and kind of reframe things. So Antonio is my sort of basically my imaginary friend who helps me to get um, self-care things done, especially sort of the things that I don't like, like doing the dishes, going to the grocery store when I don't want to, all the, the sort of fussy things that I don't always love, like making sure that I wash the fruit and set it out and put the herbs in water and all those sort of things that can really set you up to sort of be in a really good space when you're cooking and feel really organized and wonderful, but that I just don't always want to do. And so Antonio is my, uh, butler is 
weird idea that I came up with. Um, he was sort of my imaginary butler. And I made up this whole personality for him. He's this incredibly warm man and he just loves to take care of me and it brings him joy. And I feel that, and he's like fiercely protective of me. And that makes him sort of want to do these things. And so when I find myself and he's, but he's not real, of course. And so I kind of, sometimes when I find myself just not wanting to do tasks that really are in my interest, but I just don't want to do them. I imagine Antonio and I kind of embody him. And yeah. And so I wanted to share this kind of goofy process that I do in the hopes that maybe someone could come up with their own version of that. You say cooking is great, but eating is essential. Sometimes we don't have the time to prepare a meal. In the section entitled Assembly Only, you write about levels. The first level is zero to low effort. So what is included here? So to me, this is like the, I'm hungry, I'm incredibly grumpy, I need food right now sort of moment, which we've all we've all been. And so this is like, you know, a piece of cheese, a piece of chocolate. I, I love to have dates around. Um, there's something that I really enjoy. They're so sweet and they like give you that little hit of energy. Um, I have dips and, you know, your hummus and carrots or, um, salsa, tzatziki, that kind of thing, a fresh fruit, the kind you can really just grab and eat like an apple, um, an orange, um, you know, stuff that really takes, almost no preparation. And, you know, it's funny, again, it's, I wanted to highlight this because so many of the people who I talk with and myself included who struggle with cooking sort of define themselves by like, I ought to eat, you know, I ought to eat in a certain way. Eating needs to look a certain way. It has to have three square meals a day and they each have to, you know, look like the my plate and, and they have all these standards for themselves, but that's just not realistic, I think, in the world. And I wanted to share that also, you know, cookbook authors and food professionals, we all eat in the same way that everyone else does. The important thing is to feed your body. And there's so many times where there is not like a square sort of perfect meal available. And that's totally okay and totally normal. And in fact, if we sort of take that as the reality and we plan from there, I think we have ourselves in a much better situation when we sort of don't plan for, I will have three square meals a day. We plan for, no, life is often hard and we need to have things available to us so that we can eat when we need to, because that's really what's important. That's the most important kind of self-care. The next level is thoughtful, but still low stress. What are some items in this category? Yeah, I have <laughs> this funny little thing that I like to do. Um, and actually, it's really nice at this time of year. I like to take oranges and just add a little something to them um, at this time of year and into January when, you know, you can get the beautiful little baby oranges. I like to sort of break them into segments or slice them in half and then add things like crumbled feta and herbs to make them like um, more savory or uh, ricotta and honey to make them um, more sweet and delicious or do it like chocolate drizzle. I also have a bunch of ideas for how to make honey roasted nuts. Um, just something in the oven, like take some nuts. You can do cocoa and cinnamon. You can do tahini and matcha powder, coconut and cardamom and salt, just sort of some flavors that you really like together. Spread them out on a baking sheet and bake them at 350 for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, another go-to sort of something that takes a little bit of forethought is hard boiled eggs. I absolutely 
love them. Um, and it feels so special when you just slice them in half and add just a little sprinkling of either some salt or I really love a little soy sauce and sriracha. You can dip them in salad dressing. You can wrap them in something that you have around like a, a little bit of nori or some smoked salmon. There are just these ways to sort of take something very simple and make it feel just a tiny bit elevated and a little bit special, which I think can be just I get like good for the psyche, good for the soul. Um, I have more ideas for things to do with dates and snack mixes, all that kind of thing. Um, just taking things a little bit further. And then you go a little bit further with the next level and it's called going the extra mile. Yes. This is the real Antonio stuff in my view. <laughs> like This is the <laughs> um, roasting potatoes in advance, um, sort of taking those the vegetables that sort of can't necessarily be eaten on their own that need cooking. Um, things like potatoes and sweet potatoes, I really love to roast them or boil them in advance because then all of a sudden, if you have pre-cooked potatoes and you have some lettuce or something, you can make yourself a salad sort of in no time on a weekday and it feels amazing. Or you can put together um, a dinner really quickly. And if you just sort of take an hour and do a bunch of these little preparation tasks, uh, you can feel just gorgeously organized. I love to sort of arrange a little fruit bowl in the fridge and then have it um, or on the counter, depending on the time of year, um, depending. And then that's just sort of available for you whenever you need it, like kind of creating these little elements of meals that can be available for you later, um, really sort of doing the work in advance. I always think of that as like a gift to my future self. Um, and then I lastly have this sort of spa water idea. It's, I think, something that a lot of offices and, and, and spas have where add fruit or something to water. And all of a sudden, it's the simplest thing to do, but it just feels luxurious and special and beautiful. And it really, really is easy to do um, just this nice way to sort of let you know. It gives you the feeling of somebody's thinking of you. And if that person is yourself, that's a beautiful thing. This cookbook is all about the feelings that come up around cooking. Talk a little bit about the term good enough and what it means to you. Yeah, it was really important. It was such an interesting conversation, uh, figuring out what the title should be. This book has gone through so many iterations. I I wrote it over several years. And eventually when it sort of became clear like it needed to be sort of called good enough. And that it really needed to be a lot about me and my experience. I at first really wanted to sort of tell the stories of others and talk about these issues. <laughs> and I finally realized that the most important thing was for me to share my own truth and my own experiences, my own struggles with feeling not good enough. Um, and that something like that experience of going to the grocery store, that it truly did and has affected my life so much, believing that the things that I do, if they aren't perfect, if they aren't ideal, if they aren't living up to some standard that was always shifting, right? That's the other thing. A perfect standard never just stays as it is. It's if you meet it, then somehow there's more that needs to be done. Then we didn't do it fast enough. We didn't do it, whatever it is. So that I had really, I had and have really struggled with these things in and out of the kitchen for years and years. And then my story was the one that I could tell most honestly and most truthfully. And that it, I was scared to tell it because it's 
scary to be vulnerable. Like, I'm not proud that I have felt these ways, um, but I have. And I also know that in my experience with art and with people's beautiful writing, the things that have most moved me and have helped me in my life have always been when people share their truths, their most vulnerable experiences. And I wanted to join people in doing that. And so good enough, the title really came and the idea really came from, I think that's the core message behind all of this. And cooking and feeding ourselves is just another way to act that out, just to always know fundamentally whatever you're doing, whether it's shoving some cheese in your mouth at 11 p.m. or creating a beautiful meal for 10 people that you've worked on for a week, that no matter what, in that moment, you are good enough and what you're doing is enough. In your vegetable celebration chapter, I made maple soy cashew Brussels sprouts on page 216, mm. pickly sausage cauliflower on page 218, and mouthwatering miso roasted broccoli and shallots on page 219. All really flavorful, layered recipes. But the most different and surprising was the pickly sausage cauliflower. Can you describe this? Yes, it is. Well, you're exactly right. It's really unusual. Um, Cauliflower, of course, especially when roasted, ends up quite sweet and then crunchy. And then so the pickle comes in with this acidic sort of hit. And then you have this sort of sweet yet really, really savory, crispity, crunchity experience from the the sausage in there and the lemon. So it's like zingy and bright and acidic and yet sweet and crunchy and sort of oily and umami-ish from the sausage. And it's just really, really unusual, wonderful combination, but it's all the things we love sort of in our mouth all at once. And it's this, all these different textures and it's really fun, but it's also really quite simple. Um, and just came from sort of messing around with fun little things that that I have to have and love in my fridge. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. Maybe this is a boring answer, but I think I'll go with the Buddha. Just being in the room with them would be so special. You know, I could think of like writers or musicians, like there's so many amazing people who I would love to have dinner with, but there would be this pressure to like connect with them. And what if, you know, I didn't ask the right questions or there'd be all this nervousness, but I think just being in the room with someone who sort of embodies compassion and love and peace would just be such an incredible experience. (laughs) Would you make him your pickly sausage cauliflower? Oh gosh, I don't know. I think I'd have to ask him if he's (laughs) neat. I just want to thank you for writing the line, managing meals takes a significant mental load. Mm. I Mm. think I want to have that like needle pointed on something. Mm. I know. I think I need it too. I think I need to frame it and put it somewhere in my kitchen too. I have to be reminded all the time. It's real though. There's this thing about effortlessness. Like it's this beautiful thing like, oh yay. It's so cool for something to be effortless, but it's just not true. There's so little that we do in our lives that is effortless. Um, Meal planning can become easier the more you do it, but it's never actually easy. And it's certainly not without work and mental load. Where can we find you on the web and social media? These days I'm on Instagram a fair bit and I'm Leanne E. Brown on Instagram and my website is leannebrown.com. 
To purchase good enough and support the podcast, head on over to cookerybythebook.com. And thanks, Leanne, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you so much. This is really fun, Susie. Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.